you know, Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. And so what it did is it kind of pulled the, the curtain back on politics that these people, these Kings and rulers, they don't have a divine, right? They're not better than anybody else. They're flawed human beings that make mistakes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you must do on your own. We can't do it for you, but we can be your guides. We can be here to challenge you and encourage you along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we can't do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Hey, everybody. Welcome today. It's good to have you joining us. Uh, if you're just a new listener, we're just so glad you are here. Uh, continue to share this with your friends. We are currently in a series about the power of a strong foundation. And we know everybody has a foundation. The real question is, is it built on the rock, out of rock, or is it built upon sand? If it's built on sand, it can come crashing down real easily. One of the things the pandemic showed is so many people have built really great houses, but they didn't have a firm foundation. And so it really rocked their house. So we're digging into this whole notion about what it means to build it on rock instead of sand how do you know you're building it on rock as opposed to sand and so we want to be able to dig into that know that and so we really have to compare with a lot of the different ideas and thoughts that are being propagated out there so that one of the ways that you make good decisions is you understand the options and what they offer their upside downside so that you can decide for yourself and that's one of the hallmarks of the salty pastors trying to train people there's ways to think for yourself and mm. this is one of the ways to do it so on tuesday we went through some principles we kind of worked through them and here's just kind of a quick recap from my notes from that podcast we talked about everyone is building their life on a foundation of beliefs and convictions and principles mm -hmm. is this foundation rock or sand right yeah this is the question that we're trying to answer a solid rock foundation is built out of the belief that you cannot justify yourself. Only God can do that. Yeah, that's and this week we looked into a second rock that makes for a strong foundation that Jesus died for our sins. Yeah. I'd like to discuss this truth claim, you know, as much as possible. And, and let's look at history just really quick about the significance of this truth claim, because there's a movement today that's really prevalent that is, uh, it's got two prongs to it. One prong is the secular humanists, the scientific materialists, atheists, agnostics, non-religious people, people who click, you know, uh, I'm, I have zero spiritual affiliation or religious affiliation on the census. They call them the nuns because mm -hmm. they have no, it's none. You right. click that box, uh, all of these things. And then you also have a movement within Christianity where they call themselves progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity. And it's hallmarked by a lot of these postmodern, uh, theologians, they call themselves it was spearheaded by a guy by the name of Brian McLaren, uh, a number of years ago, there's a magazine out called sojourners. And, and so they really propagate a lot of this stuff. And so this is happening and they all want to deny a very important doctrinal principle, and that is Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. All right. And so one of the things we have to do is that is realize how important that truth claim has been in American history. And even though it's rarely discussed in our secularized history, every major turning point in the history of America that resulted in a leap forward for our society 
was preceded by a massive spiritual revival. They're called the Great Awakenings. And you can go on, you know, you can even go on Wikipedia and just type in Great Awakenings. And boom, all this history pops up. And they were massive. It's bigger than anything, bigger than any vaudeville act, big, bigger than politics, bigger than all of these, these massive movements, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people would be gathering together in these tent revivals, these big revivals. There's one called the Cane Ridge Revival, where 40,000 people went to Cane Ridge in wagons and camped out for a couple of weeks right. just to be there. I mean, these things were just unbelievably amazing in their, in their size and, and volume. And so what's fascinating is that every single one of these revivals or great awakenings were preceded by this notion of uh, Jesus died for your sins. It didn't start with a prosperity gospel. And what we mean by that, a gospel where it says that Jesus came to make you a better you, to give you what you want, to help make your dreams come true, make your life successful. And what we see is that it started off with a very important truth claim. And that is Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin. And so therefore all of these great revivals were started with a conviction in this conviction that there was something that needed a right that needed to be wrong within me, then spread out to uh, the general society. For instance, prior to the revolutionary war, there was a massive, in the early 1700s, about 1725, 1730, all the way up to the Revolutionary War, was a massive Great Awakening. It was the very first one. Mm. And there was a whole notion that, you know, Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. And so what it did is it kind of pulled the the curtain back on politics that these people, these Kings and rulers, they don't have a divine right. They're not better than anybody else. They're flawed human beings that make mistakes. And then you kind of zoom forward a little bit. And you look at uh, the entire uh, civil war and what happened there. And there was a massive great awakening about, it started about 1835, 1840. And that was the second great awakening. And then after the civil war, about 10 years after it, what happened is there was another massive, uh, they called it the third great awakening. And then out of that came the temperance movement, women's suffrage, women's right, economic expansion, like never before. And so you see these massive leaps forward and they always are, were a result of this conviction that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. And that is really important as you look at the history of America growing and leaping forward in massive ways. So it seems like the best things in, you know, America's greatest movements have really come from this conviction that we need to be saved from our sins, not, yes. uh, oh, Jesus is here to give you everything. You know, Jesus is Santa Claus. He's here to right. make your life easy and whatever. It's never been that. It's, hey, you're a flawed creature and you yeah. need saving. Yeah. You need healing and redemption. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you affirm the truth that a person needs to be saved from this sin, you are asserting some very important truths or realities of the human condition. What you're doing is when you say Jesus came to save you from your sins, you know, or Jesus saves, saves me from my sins. What you're actually doing is you're asserting some very important, uh, frame of reference, a, a very important truth. And that is this, that human beings are moral creatures. So, we are not amoral or non-moral. 
And that is, is that deep within our human makeup, our sentience, that we have a thing called a soul. We are not soulless creatures. What we are is we are moral creatures. And you know what that means? We have a conscience, you see? And the thing is, is that if you say he came to save me from my sins, I'm a moral being with conscience and I know I'm not perfect. I violate my conscience Mm. and I, I don't live up to my expectations of myself. And sometimes I do things that I know are wrong. I mean, psychologically, how do you explain that without the notion that you have a soul? Right. You see the, the notion of conscience and therefore, uh, what this does is it produces guilt. Everybody deals with guilt. Everybody deals with shame. Everybody has to deal with this stuff. Well, psychology today, secularized psychology and the ideologies that are outside of this frame of reference, they have no answer for it. You know, if you go into a counselor who doesn't have this worldview or definition of human beings, what they're going to tell you is this. They're going to tell you, we talked a little bit about this before. They're going to tell you, well, there's no such thing as right and wrong. So in other words, get rid of your conscience. Mm. Uh, The other thing they're going to tell you is they're going to tell you, if they don't tell you that, they're going to tell you that, well, how do you know you did something wrong? In other words, use your own judgment. And so what they do is they never produce healing. Somebody once told me that uh, there was a longitudinal study that said that people who go to therapists and counselors, they have less than a 30% cure rate. Mm. And so, so to me, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was Carl Jung or another uh, famous psychoanalyst said, if I could convince my patients that they were truly forgiven, 90% of them would be cured. Mm. So, so see, see, that's really a big deal. This notion of guilt and shame, and it, it affects us dramatically in ways we never, ever understand. So ultimately, when I say Jesus came to save me from my sins, I'm saying I'm a human being with a soul. I'm not perfect. My, I violate my conscience. And so I feel guilt and shame. And the only way I'm ever going to be set free from this to become who I truly was meant to be is when an outside force or influence comes in to free me from that cycle. And so that is the description of the human condition. I mean, it seems to be pretty logical and truthful explanation of that condition. I mean, when you break it down, that makes the most sense. But for those people that don't believe that there's a savior and that he died for you Mm -hmm. and that he's forgiven you for the things that you've done, what are the alternatives for the people that are living without that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because the, the ideology that we're dealing with today, if I can articulate it for everybody pretty quickly, is basically the result of four men. And the first one started with uh, Jacques Rousseau. He was in the late 1700s when he was writing, and he was a Swiss philosopher. And he wrote extensively on politics and societal structures and all this kind of stuff. And he made a truth claim, and this was his truth claim. Human beings are not sinful. Human beings uh, in and of themselves. The problems that human beings have is a result of society. It's society that corrupts people. It's not people who corrupt society. Mm. 
So his position is the opposite of the book, The Lord of the Flies. Right. Remember the book where the kids get stranded on an island yeah. and then they just go crazy and kill each other and get tribal and all that kind of yes. stuff. So the whole point of that book was, is that, you no, know, the problem is human beings, not society. Right. As a matter of fact, if you get rid of society, what people devolve into animals, basically. <laughs> into animals, right? yeah. And I mean, we see that there's been multiple variants of that premise, you know, taking that book either and adapting it or... There's even a brand new show out that I was watching that's about a girl's soccer team that basically that's the exact same premise. They get stranded up in the Canadian wilderness, and by the end of the first season, they're starting to like yeah. devolve into this craziness. And, and uh, yeah, it's animistic. Anarchy, yeah. Right. You know what else is every zombie show movie is about that, about when civilization is you know corrupted or unended, what do people do? Right. You know, it's not everybody's happy and joyful and we're the most yeah. peaceful and whole versions of ourself yeah. ever. That's never what's portrayed in any of those movies. I, which, I mean, like inherently yeah. you're like, well, if people really believe that this is where, you know, these thoughts that these philosophers are putting out, which exactly. permeate our society. But when these creatives really sit down and start going, OK, what is the most realistic or, you know. Yeah. Obviously, it's a it's a, a, a version of reality. Sure. Yeah. But when they sit down, they're not like, oh, well, they're probably the happiest people and they're so yeah. complete and they all get along because there's no longer society. That's never the version. That's never you the see. version. It's, you see. They're murdering each other yeah. and they're, you know, in a fight for survival. Yeah. yeah. It's like they do. They do more horrendous things to, yeah, each, to other. each other. Exactly. And so it's really interesting because there was a guy by the name of Philip Pullman. He's a British writer and he's some kind of uh, national treasure or whatever. He's kind of, I think he's in his mid to late seventies now. He's written a lot of books and he's, he's an atheist and he hates Christianity. He hates the church. And he wrote a book called the Northern lights. And then it was changed into a movie called the golden compass. Oh yeah. And in the movie, that is an attempt to teach kids an absolute refutation of this notion that human beings have a problem with evil within them and supports this Rousseauian notion that it's society that corrupts you because you watch the movie and what you see is the evil bad guys in it are the church, right? right. And everybody has a demon and the church is trying to rid you of your demons, right? And if you lose your demons, then you're not a, a person anymore. You're not complete anymore. You're not complete anymore. And so I'm like, man, what a blatant act of stupidity. Because the whole point is maybe you don't like organized religion. Hey, I get that. I don't either. That's why we call ourselves disorganized religion. <laughs> um, you know, we, we believe in the interpersonal relationship of having a, a vibrant encounter with the living God, Jesus Christ. But What's really important to understand in this movie is what what the doctrine of the church is, is that what you're being set free from is not, you know, your demons are demons. They're not these furry little pets that make you yeah, feel they, good. They characterize them. So they, there was a movie and then HBO just recently did a TV series that I think is yeah. getting a second season based on the exact same thing, right? Got it. Great VFX in that show, yeah. I will say. <laughs> I, did, I only watched the first episode. That's mostly why I was watching. But they they do characterize these as almost like pets. Like yeah, you're, you're they're the, pets. They're these adorable pets that you love and whatever. And so then, yes, the big bad evil church is trying to take your 
pets away, away from, from you. you. And they do, They I think they call them daemons in the thing. Daemons, but yeah. it's, you know, it's a British, yes, yeah, it's a it's British, a British, a British yeah. version. It's BBC like, produced yes. it, so. We have, a, we have the bonnet of the car in the garage, and but this I is got, your daemon. I gotta say, you know, you say anything in proper English, it does sound more um, <laughs> it does. intelligent, intelligent, right? doesn't it? Yes. That's what <laughs> they about. To our American brains, we're yeah. like, oh man, that, might, that guy must know what it is. And he's like, he's yeah. talking about the, his trunk yeah. in his car. What are you talking about? Yeah. The boot. <laughs> the boot. But you see, so so Rousseau and his ideologies expanded, all right? So the second person that came along right after, and this is less than 50 years later, is Karl Marx. Mm. Okay. So you have this idea from Rousseau that says society is what corrupts you. Karl Marx comes along and says, well, this is the corruption of society. Okay, this is so Rousseau says society is corrupt, not human beings. This is how society is corrupt, and that is all society has classes in it, class structure. Well, that's true, right? There's hierarchies everywhere. Because hierarchies uh, result around commonality, affinity, and people have different gifts, different interests, different everything. So that's true. Society is a class structure. However, he took it further and he said, look, class structures are hard breaks and enforced on people by the top class to oppress all the other classes. And so what he did is that he goes, therefore, every class is in a power struggle against another class. So what he did basically is say, well, it's slavery. You know, every society is a slave society, basically, is what he said. And so he says, look, if you come along and you restructure society so there are no classes, there is no hierarchy, and everybody is exactly the same, then you're going to have utopia, right? People will prosper. Well, history has shown this to be not only the worst idea that's ever been propagated on human beings, but it's also been the bloodiest and the most atheistic and the most destructive. I mean, the, the death count for communism and socialism is off the charts. Anybody with half a brain who says communism and socialism is the way to go is either a liar or incredibly ignorant. Right. And that is unbelievable that you have college students who think that it could be opposed. It's just like you have never read history and you don't know about the bloodthirstiness of communism. Well, then you bring in Charles Darwin, the third guy. And what did he say? He said, in the, you know, Karl Marx produced his uh, communist manifesto in 1848 and then 10 years 11 years later J- darwin comes in and says well here's the origin of the species and so that reinforced that notion that well there is no god because we all just evolved and so what happens is that then now changes the whole notion of morality it separates the fact that you as a human being have a moral center and you have a conscience from anything outside yourself. See, that's the really critical point. There's no objective standard that you have to live up to. So you could do whatever you want. And you see communists and socialists and all kinds of people did that in order to get where they wanted. Uh, they murdered millions and millions over hundreds, over hundreds of millions of people. And then you turn that is once they impose their system, guess what? It just made everybody even worse. I mean, the poverty and the famine and the stuff that went on was unbelievable. So you have the third guy. Then the fourth guy comes along, and this is Sigmund Freud, because 
uh, he was a psychoanalyst. He was born in, I don't know, around 1860, 1870. So he didn't really, in, in his 30s is when he started practicing at the turn of the century, around 1900 to about 1920, right. 1925. He died in 1939, uh, right before the beginning of the Second World War. But what he did, is he basically said this, that because of Charles Darwin's ideology, he said, look, uh, human beings are sexual from their inception. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the relationship between a baby and its mother and breastfeeding is purely sexual. And then for the rest of, uh, uh, a girl's life or a boy's life because of this, everything is driven by sex and sexual identity and all this kind of stuff. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that every one of his ideas has been completely debunked. Mm. You know, nobody believes that, but our society took Rousseau's notion that human beings are not sinful. And then they combined it with Freud's idea that your entire identity is sexual. So now you see where we're at today, and that is, is the overt sexualization of our children across the board. And that's what, because of this definition of human being that comes from Rousseau, Marx, Darwin, and Freud. So, I mean, where are we seeing this play out in, in practicality? I mean, Thursday's kind of a practicality thing. So we know yeah. that these guys existed. We've heard most of their names before. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they've, they've been put into the school system. We know of their existence, but how are we seeing their ideologies play out in our lives today? Well, one of the things that happened, uh, under the Obama administration, many people weren't aware of it. And I'm not trying to say this is Obama's thing. I'm just dating it. Um, was called the national sex education standards that came out of Washington, DC. And so all you have all of these states that are trying to implement their standards and so in Illinois, uh, they are aligning all of their curriculums to, with the national sex education standards. And this includes the study of gender expression in grades K, kindergarten, first and second grade. And this, their curriculum includes anatomy, gender identity, and sexual orientation in grades three through five. Uh, if you look at, um, California, uh, the California teachers, uh, urge recruit are being urged to recruit kids into LGD, LGBT clubs. Uh, Abigail Shire, who is not a conservative person at all. She's been a liberal Democrat her whole life. And she wrote a book called Irreversible Damage, and she's been investigating this in California. She said in October of 2020, there was a meeting at a conference of all of California's largest teachers union, the California Teachers Association, and documents show teachers are being trained and encouraged to recruit students into LGBT clubs, LGBT clubs, urging them to have the courage to create a safe environment that fosters bravery to explore sexual orientation. And one teacher said, we are going to do a little mind trick on our sixth graders. Okay. Uh, this is all, these are all articles that where I'm showing this, uh, the CDC, which has, uh, got a stellar reputation now in the way it held, <laughs> uh, handled the pandemic, you know, uh, by establishing policy, health policy on the basis of advice 
and demands from the teachers unions show you how politicized that organization has become. Mm. And, and so nobody trusts it and they don't trust it because it's not about health. It's not about science. It's about politics. And that's really sad in my opinion. But the CDC has backed these groups because of the national sex uh, education standards, which provides a roadmap. Uh, the Nebraska Department of Education are now teaching kindergartners the names of reproductive body parts and defining gender identity and reproduction. Children in grades three through five are taught about masturbation, hormone blockers used to transition, prebubescent children, sexually transmitted diseases, and the difference between cisgender, transgender, non-binary, and gender expression or expansion. This is third graders. These are seven and eight year old children. Mm. That's who this is happening with in Nebraska. In Washington, the state next to Idaho has a bill and it was, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a new bill requiring sex education in all Western Washington public schools starting at kindergarten. And it's a highly controversial bill and I believe it was signed into law this last session by the governor. The curriculum of the, this bill requires will focus on teaching kindergartners about boys and girls bodies. Gender is on a spectrum and open for interpretation. The third through fifth graders are going to do deep dives into issues such as LGBTQ, contraception, pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, and sexual consent in Wisconsin. There is now a school district. The Elmbrook School District offers student access to books and information via an online library called Sora, S-O-R-A, and the Sora database, which can be accessed by students as young as eight years old, includes books such as This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson and Queer by Kathy Belge and Mark Beesh. The This Book is Gay offered to eighth graders tells you how to log on to Grindr and other sex apps and how you can avoid parental uh, oversight of what is happening in your life. Uh, let me see. Here's the next one. We see this happening. And this is there is graphic sexual content assigned to Texas students. Dissenting parents have been harassed with anti-Christian bigotry. Students as young as 13 in Leander Independent School District in Austin, Texas, a liberal bastion, have been exposed to graphic sexual content as a part of their coursework. What's interesting is this was done without parent consent, okay, 13-year-olds, and this means that some of these kids have not even entered puberty yet. And what's really interesting is the parents said, hey, wait a second, we want to know what's going on here. It's some of it is so disgusting what they're showing. I can't even mention it on the salty pastor. Oh I mean, gosh. that's how bad it is. And what's really interesting is once these parents said, Hey, we don't think this is uh, good. What happened is proponents of the pornographic content, uh, including teachers and parents lashed out at these concerned parents, calling them religious zealots, bigots, and racists. And then they started, they started calling them sexual, uh, biological parts. And some of the people speaking out have received anonymous cardboard phallic symbols in the mail with anti-Christian messages calling them these names. And there's a picture here. I'm not going to show it. I'll describe it to you, but it is a giant phallic symbol and along the head, it has a crown of thorns. And then uh, on, along the testicles, it says, he has risen, 
which is a, a, an overt attack at Christianity and Jesus Christ as well. This is disgusting beyond point. And this is happening in school districts in Leander School District in Austin, Texas. You know, and so people are going, oh, that does, that uh, my kids aren't in school and and or uh, it doesn't matter to me. Well, maybe you should, because in Wyoming, of all states, a man claiming to be a woman, right, assaulted sexually a 10 year old girl in the bathroom in the school district in Maryland. There was a girl sexually assaulted and raped by another male student uh, who was claiming to be transgendered. This person was known by the school district to have committed an, a prior sexual assault and they covered it up and transferred him to another school because he believed she was a she and then she raped a child and this was covered up. And this is why right now there is actually, I think a Republican governor of the state of Virginia is because of what was happening there and how they were rejecting parents. Um, in, uh, there was a boy who was sexually assaulted, um, in kindergarten. I'm sorry, a boy sexually assaulted a kindergarten girl. This is a five-year-old girl in the school bathroom. Uh, and the school system is being sued because it was due to their transgendered policy. And this is in Georgia, Decatur, Georgia. I could keep going. I, I mean, I'm just kind of just laying off just a few in the last five years, the sexualization of our children is the goal of this ideology. And this ideology is all based on this Rousseauian notion picked up by Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, and Charles Darwin. It's propagated by scientific materialists, atheists like uh, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and all these guys. This is the result of their ideology. This is what it comes out as. In our society today, the push for this is to sexualize your children as young as possible. And it's not a matter, you can't ignore it anymore. You can't avoid it anymore. If people don't start saying, we will not tolerate this, then what's going to happen is our children will be irreparably damaged and we won't be able to pull them out of the fire. So if you have grandkids, if you have children, if you are young, single, and you want to have children, I cannot encourage you enough to join the battle. Uh, and it starts with this phrase, Jesus died for my sins. That's what's critically important about it. And we can change hearts and minds. There's a man by the name of David Mehmet. He is a, a playwright. He wrote uh, Glen Rary, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, the, you know, it won. What is it that you win when you have really great Tony. plays? Tony Awards. Thank you. Um, he won all these rewards. He's, he's very well respected. He was extremely progressive and extremely liberal. And listen to what he said about 10 years ago. He goes, I began to wonder how could I have spent decades thinking that I thought everything was always wrong while at the same time, I thought that people were basically good at heart, which was it? I began to question what I actually thought and found, I do not think that people are basically good at heart. Indeed, that view of human nature has both prompted and informed my writing for the last 40 years. But I think that people in circumstances of stress can behave like swine and that this indeed is not only a fit subject, but the only subject 
of drama. And so this is why the truth claim of Jesus is so important. Jesus came to die for my sins. Because what it does is it's not just about you personally, but what it does is it postulates a truth, a definition of human beings. It describes a human condition so authentically, so genuinely, that it's only, it shines light on all of the horrible things that human beings try to do to other human beings. And that truth claim always sets you free. Well, you've given us a lot to think about today, Pastor. I will say this is a, salty. a, a salty and very deep subject we've talked about. And obviously this is going to leave our listeners with a lot to think about. But um, we just encourage you to think about this. We're bringing these forward to you so that you can make your decisions based on what we're presenting to you. And ultimately, it's in your hands to decide how you want to go forward with that. The same way that we want to encourage you to make a plan for next week's Easter services. Make sure you have a plan for which one you're going to attend. Make sure you know about our Good Friday worship set. We have five other churches joining us um, here on campus. So for Good Friday, for Good Friday, if you want to join us for that um, Good Friday worship night, um, we've got obviously the Easter egg hunt, and we've got so many things going on here at Foothills because ultimately we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's the whole basis of this foundational truth we've been talking about today. Is Jesus died for you and rose from the dead, and there is power in that, and that is the strongest foundation you can have. So come join us in celebrating that, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Salty Pastor Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Blessings.